0: You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, good morning. My name is Dean. I'm pastor here at City Church. Thankful for a really good team of preachers that have been here uh, since Memorial Day. Aren't you thankful for the team with some preaching uh, in my preaching absence? Just done a fantastic job. We're in very good hands churchwide. I'm really thankful for that. Uh, we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians verse by verse. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13 today. I told my friend Matt on the phone a couple of days ago, I said, I think the two most known verses by the world, Christians and non-Christians, in the Bible are, one, thou shall not judge, and two, love is patient, love is kind. Those are the ones that most people know. Uh, before I jump in, I have an exciting announcement to make, and that is that starting August 14th, so right around when school starts, August 14th, we're going to be going to three services here at Sessions Road. That's an exciting thing. You're supposed to be excited about that. Thank you. Yeah, little 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 Jeb Bush. You can clap for that kind of moment. Uh, so they're going to be at 8:30, at 10, and at 11:30. Our kids ministry is booming, and we also want to create more space when Tallahassee's fully going full blast come the fall for people to be here and to be able to park and to be able to sit in seats. Uh, because we believe the gospel is only good news if it gets there on time. And we want folks to be able to hear it and understand it and be welcomed here and have a seat and have a parking spot and be able to check their kids in where it's not chaos, which it could be in the fall if we don't make this move. Uh, So we're grateful for the problem of having to do that. But starting August 14th, three services, 8.30, and we need some folks to go. We're 8.30 people. I'm not an 8.30 person, and I'll be here. So 8.30 people, 10 and then the hungover crowd at 11.30. So that's what we need. Uh, so th- those of you that don't worry about meeting, beating the Methodist to lunch are the 11.30 crowd. Those of you, the 8.30 crowd, can already be at Cracker Barrel and be done and just kind of give them this on the way out when they show up for lunch. So we need some folks uh, to be at those services. We also have over 60 students uh, with, with adult volunteers, but 80 people uh, going to our youth students camp tomorrow in North Carolina. Uh, y'all, I, I know some people are excited about that. Uh, they're leaving like at 5.45 in the morning or something like that. I won't be there, but good luck. Uh, and, uh, but we're really excited uh, for that to take place. The Lord has always just used summer camps, for whatever reason, to communicate his love to students. Uh, I'm a great recipient of summer camp ministry when I was in middle school and high school, and I'm just thankful my own son and that the students of our church, middle school and high school, get a chance to go to Fuge Camp at North Greenville University uh, tomorrow for the entire week. We've got two full buses going up. So thank you for your generosity in helping make those kind of things happen. We're excited. Let's pray. Then we'll jump into 1 Corinthians 13. Father, we are thankful for your love for us. We're thankful it's understood in the work of Jesus Christ that you so loved the world that you gave your only son. So whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. What an amazing truth that you so loved us that you gave Lord, let's never lose sight of how amazing it is to be loved by our creator in such a way that even though we sinned against you, that you gave us the way in your love to be reconciled to yourself through the blood of your son. We worship Jesus because he rose from the grave and he, we proclaim his name today as a church family. We ask with all the churches in our city as they gather today that the same message will be proclaimed, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that God so loves the world. Lord, we ask that be true of all of our churches. That message go across Tallahassee, Let's get the enemy out of this place, out of our church, out of our city. And I ask that you be with our students tomorrow as they travel and that it can be an incredible week in Greenville, South Carolina for them. We're thankful for Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. So 1 Corinthians 13, it's there on purpose, it's not an isolated text, it's coming after some fighting over spiritual gifts, over order of service, over issues with women and men and customs and traditions, and so it's not a coincidence that all of a sudden right in the middle of those discussions we see First Corinthians 13, which is about love. It's critical to know the context of that. It's sandwiched there because Paul's basically going time out and this is kind of seen oftentimes as inspirational, this text, but it's more corrective. It's more Paul saying, hey, there's some problems here in the love department and I'm gonna call you out for it. It's not a coffee mug verse. It's fine to have it on a coffee mug, but it wasn't meant for that. It was first and foremost corrective to the church to call them to what he calls the greatest thing which is love, and he says this, if I speak human or angelic tongues, and angelic tongues, most commentators believe, is this great knowledge, like a superior knowledge of the faith, but do not have love. I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Some of y'all are already getting ready to do this. How awful does that sound? No offense to our drummer. When it all goes together, it makes great music. But if your son or daughter decides they're gonna take drumming lessons and they ask you to have a drum kit in the house, if it was a guitar, you'd say, yeah, no problem, that's great. So if it was the flute, you'd go, yeah, that's great. So if it was a violin, you'd be like, "Whoa, well, it's gonna be a rough six months, but then it'll be pretty. Piano, absolutely, what a beautiful sound. Mom, I want a drum kit. What comes to mind in your house? Three minutes later, imagine that over and over and over again. Paul's like, this is how God feels. We're pursuing things, and they aren't done in love. They're a clanging symbol. That noise, if I keep doing it, you'd be like, dude, stop. Like, we get it already. Like, you've proven your point. But that noise... That's the human illustration of how God sees this. If I have the gift of prophecy to understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and the context here is mainly focused on, again, the superior knowledge, that you're this great Bible scholar, this great theologian, you know all the answers. He doesn't say it's bad to know a lot of the answers. He doesn't say it's bad to be a scholar. He says, but I do those things, and if I have all faith so I can move mountains, but do not have love, I have Nothing. If I give away my possessions, these amazing acts that sound loving, if I give away my body in order to boast but do not have love, as in the wrong motives, I, I gain nothing. So he's pointing them to something greater than even the best acts, like giving away your possessions to those who are in need. Having superior knowledge, it's angelic. He says, but if you don't have love, He said it's worthless. It's that noise. It's when your kid first brings home their recorder in third grade from music class. And he says, here's what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not irritable. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Tom Schreiner puts it like this. He says, his summary, love is not narcissistic. It's not self-absorbed. It's not self-obsessed. There's a reason why the Bible says that knowledge can puff up, can swell our heads, But love actually builds up. He's not saying that we should cease pursuing knowledge. He's saying we need to make sure that it's all done first and foremost in love. And this is really confusing conversation in our culture today that loves to use the word love. When I went to London to visit our church plant, thankfully, it's a nice thing about a mission trip to London and to be with starting a church there is we speak the same language. You don't have to worry about a translator, you don't have to worry about, but there's some words that mean different things. I was in the hotel and asked where the elevator was located, and the person behind the desk just kind of gave me a look, and I said, is there no elevator? I'm not really a stairs guy. Is Is there really no elevator? She goes, oh, the lift. And I said, oh, that actually makes more sense, the lift. I said, yes, where's the lift? Right there down the hallway, take a left. Elevator looked exactly like our elevator's. It's called a lift. And I guess, I'm trying to decide who gets to claim it. Like, they've been speaking English a lot longer, but we beat them in the Revolutionary War. So I'm not sure who decides that, but sorry. And then we were going to get dessert, and I was asked if I wanted a biscuit. I'm like, well, you know, from the south. Grew up as a crow flies, probably about 10, 15 miles from the Georgia line. Of course I want a biscuit. They meant a cookie, even better. <laughs> I said, absolutely, bring on the biscuits. These are the same, the same things, but different words. Here's what makes it confusing. We're using the same words with love, but it means two completely different things. It's much easier to go, oh, okay, elevator means lift, got it. Oh, they don't say biscuit. Or they don't say cookie, they say biscuit. Okay, God. You just learn that really quick. That's pretty easy. But when two words are the same, like love, but the world and the Bible present it completely different, it gets really confusing. And it's a lot more complicated to learn. Christina Fox wrote this: the world often thinks of love as emotional responses, physical attraction, and the trappings of romance. In our post-truth culture, love is a feeling that must always be acknowledged and obeyed. It's a fickle emotion, one that comes and goes with the tide of desire, causing people to fall in and out of its pull. It's conditional, dependent on the other person meeting certain expectations. What does the Bible say about love? 1 John 4 that love consists in this. Like God's gonna actually tell us love. It's my favorite passage of scripture to use at a wedding, 1 John 4. He's saying here's what love is. It consists in this. Not that we loved God and good because we're not very good at that. At least I know I'm not. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He says, dear friends, if God loved us in this way, and I just told you how he did through, his, through the death of his son, we also must love one another. As in, there's a motivation, there's a purpose, and it's not simply feelings, it's facts about what Jesus has done for us. One grand story is the story of love in the Bible, not isolated from each other. So this idea of 1 John 4, it actually rings throughout the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation of God actively loving and pursuing a people for himself called the church. Dear friends, we see in 2 Peter, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord one day is like a thousand years, a great reminder I need regularly. On my town table, I'm like, God, it's been five minutes since I prayed. Maybe it's been five years. He goes, well, a thousand years for God. And not literally a thousand years. It's the metaphor he's given us that God does not see time like we see time and think like we think. And a thousand years is like a day. He says the Lord does not delay His promise as some understand delay. Well, who's some? It's us. How we think of delay. But is patient with you, not wanting any to perish but all to come to repentance. See, here Peter refers to the mocking from the world concerning the second coming of Christ. Oh, y'all talking about Jesus coming back. We don't see him coming back. We see you Christians in jail instead. And the believers are going, yeah, this is not really turning out like you promised it would. Jesus coming back, like it's been a little while, we're under persecution, when's it gonna happen? Since he hadn't come back, people were starting to mock them and to laugh kind of like when someone invites you to go snipe hunting out in the woods you ever heard of that there's no such thing but they'll say hey let's go snipe hunting oh what's that they'll explain it to you it's this little bird it's out there meet me in the woods at 8 a.m then you go out there and no one's there and you're by yourself looking for snipes that don't actually exist that's how they're presenting this this is just fairy tale it's legend it's not actually happening And here Peter informs us the fact that Christ has not come is actually a display of God's patience. Like, why hasn't he come? Because all his people are not yet saved. They haven't all been brought to a saving faith, and he is patient and will continue to be until every single one that he has called his own are now a sheep with a shepherd. The Bible calls them the elect people of God, all who will come as sheep to their shepherd and to a saving relationship with Christ. In other words, love is patient. Love is in it for good. God bears with us through the long haul till death do us part is the best that we can do in our promises of love, but God's love is eternal, and it never fades away. You can't out-sin his love for you. His mercy is more. Yes, your sin separates you from him, but Jesus came because we couldn't fix that on our own. And in God's patient love for us, he put out a plan for his own glory and because of his love to redeem a people to himself that couldn't redeem themselves on their own. We see this, when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared. He saved us. And that word save is not some revivalistic Baptist language, it's a Bible word. We're saved from our sins. We're saved from the punishment of sin. When people hear a preacher say, get saved, they think, oh, that sounds, no, this is a Bible word. It's a Jesus word. We're saved from God's penalty of sin. He saved us not by works of righteousness that we had done, because that's not gonna cancel out the fact that we've sinned, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit comes in and makes us new. He poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that having been justified, meaning declared not guilty, by his grace we have become heirs with the hope of eternal life. When the kindness of God our Savior appears. In other words, love is kind. Love is patient. Love is kind. Paul writes this, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And we had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jonathan Edwards wrote that envy, is a spirit of dissatisfaction with and opposition to the prosperity and happiness of others as compared with our own. Rather rejoice in the good that God is doing in someone's life, we often begrudge them. We want their prosperity for ourselves. We see that in Jesus, the opposite. That even though he was God, He did not exploit his power and position, but emptied himself and came here, took on flesh. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking. 2 Corinthians 5, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He didn't ignore them. They were counted on Christ instead. God must punish sin. He must deal with it or he wouldn't be God. Calling and saying God is love wouldn't make much sense if we didn't actually need it. And to understand it the way he's presented it to us is that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And he says that he's committed this message of reconciliation to us. He's not counting our trespasses against them. In other words, love does not keep a record of wrongs. It doesn't keep record of wrongs. One of the most difficult conversations in any reconciliation, relationship, counseling, whatever you want to call it, is the list. The list of a records of wrongs. That is just, but this, but that, but this, but that. And yet we gotta deal with stuff. And there are real lists and things to repent of and to address, but we don't keep records of wrongs. Why? Not randomly not because some magazine about love told you not to, not because of some nice little meme on Instagram about love, but because God has not counted our sins against us. They were counted against Christ instead who actually never did wrong. We see this in the story of the crucifixion, Luke 23. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals on the right hand, one on the right, one on the left, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. Love is not irritable. It's not irritable. When I meet with my counselor, one thing that he regularly says to me is, when those who have wronged you, you need to learn how to have compassion for them. And I'm like, that's the worst thing I've ever heard. I want to punch him in the face. He goes, well, that's why you're here. Okay, good. He said, because they're, when people are in sin, they're doing the devil's work. They're doing the devil's work. Love is not irritable, it does have some compassion. One thing about love, that word love in our world today is it's again, biscuit or cookie. You know, Oh, okay, biscuit means, cookie means, got it, okay. Same word for us though, love, but two different definitions. And usually it just means that anything goes. And if you say anything, you're unloving. And where do we get that from? We didn't get it from your coffee mug of 1 Corinthians 13, I assure you. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote this, you cannot be truly loving unless it's in terms of the truth. First Corinthians 13 says, love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth. It's not loving to celebrate things that God condemns. And it's legalistic and unchristian to condemn things that God celebrates. I don't know where we got that from. To speak to this, to say this, to to not affirm this, to not agree with this, it makes you unloving. When the scriptures say that love finds no joy in unrighteousness. So for us to find joy in unrighteousness and sin is to actually, God would say, be someone who is not loving. Because God's the one who defines the terms of what it means to love, not the world. Love means to believe all things. It means we give others the benefit of the doubt. It means we believe that over time we can commit ourselves to one another. Believing all things means that we're willing to trust one another. And we don't ignore wrongs. There's times where we have to shake hands and go different directions. We just don't keep record of them. And how does this happen for us as flawed people who oftentimes are more swayed by how the world views love than how God shows us what love truly is? I try to give the whole biblical understanding frame of it rather than isolated verses. It's, he tells us this for consider him. Like look to Christ who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, the ultimate injustice so that you won't grow weary and give up. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Then he continues and kind of changes gears a little bit in verse 8. Love never ends because it's God's, our eternal God. The alpha, the omega, the first and the last. From everlasting to everlasting, the psalm says, you are God. But as for prophecies, they're gonna come to an end. As for tongues, they're gonna cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. We're gonna get into a lot of that during equip classes, so I'd love for you to come, if you're interested in that kind of conversation tonight at five. If we know in part, and we prophecy in part, but when the perfect comes, what's the perfect mean? It's the return of Christ the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I felt like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I I put aside childish things. For now we see only a reflection as a mirror, but then face to face as we'll actually see Jesus himself. Now I know in part, we get a glimpse right now. But then I will know fully as I am fully known. How amazing a chapter about love and God's love and then gets personal about you and says you're fully known by God and loved anyways. I mean, how many people would really love you if they fully knew you? That's one of the the great journeys of marriage, right? You can only hide stuff for so long. Like, I fully love you, at least today. Because even though, usually not because I fully know you, even though I fully know you. Why? Because love's a choice. I tell couples all the time who are engaged, feelings can get you to a third date. Maybe even to your engagement pictures. But you know what gets you to a 50th wedding anniversary? Love. And choosing to love every single day. Choosing. That's what gets you there. Are there emotions and feelings? Yes. I hope you cultivate them. Absolutely. That's critical. But the greatest of these is love. He says these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. In heaven, we're not going to need faith anymore. It's by sight then. We're not going to need hope anymore because all our hopes have been now fulfilled in Christ. They're all answered but love's gonna remain. A love for God because he loves us and a love for each other. But the greatest of these is love. In closing, Dave Pallison, the great counselor who passed away a couple years ago wrote this, evangelical, strong evangelical. But that God is love, therefore God is patience and God is kindness. And of course, since every promise of God is yes and the son of God, This Jesus is patience and is kindness. Love walked among us, taking on flesh, tempted as we are, yet without sin, touched with the feelings of our infirmities, dealing gently with the ignorant and wayward. Such love is a communicable attribute of God. This means that in taking us on, often who are impatient, often unkind, and making us over into the image of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will make us patient and kind. He will teach us to become in it for good with other people, amid the ups, the downs. This is the lifelong goal of Christian ministry, love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The fuller Old Testament equivalent to 1 Corinthians thirteen four, love is patient, love is kind, has already been revealed on Sinai in Exodus. The Lord, the Lord, a God of mercy, who's merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. In the Greek, that's the word patient. Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. It is striking that when revealing his glory and goodness, the Lord chooses to show forth communicable attributes. He could have mentioned his omnipotence his omniscience, his omnipresence, his self-existence, eternity, things infinitely beyond anything our minds can begin to fathom, but he chose to reveal his mercy. That's how God wanted to be known. Within our comprehension, within our experience, within our grasp by grace, we too then can learn to become merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving you might go, I'm for all this and I think I've spent my last love dollar on this relationship I'm in right now, the marriage issues I'm having, a rebellious son or daughter, a good friend, we don't speak anymore, whatever whatever it could be. And there's a chance that the reason why things have gotten to where they are is because somebody forgot what it meant to love. And they became the opposite of what 1 Corinthians lays out. They've been self-seeking. They've not been kind. They've not been patient. They've been easily angered. They've kept records of wrongs. And you're going... What am I supposed to do? My best advice to you right now is don't give up. Just don't give up. Consider him who endured that and then some of what you're enduring right now. Now, if someone is greatly sinning against you, you're not supposed to lay there and take it. Remember, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. But there's a good chance that your spouse or your friend or someone else they they've they forgotten what it means to love. And I'm not talking about an abusive situation where you need to get the heck out of the door. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the conflicts, the losing hope, the despair. But when I read the scripture, I know it's easier said than done, that's why he says consider him. Like he's the one who endured, he's the one who continued. Because I believe that that very love could be the thing that wins that person back. And again, it doesn't mean you lay down and take it. It doesn't mean that, that you remain silent. It doesn't mean that you become some sort of victim. No, none of those things. It means that you define love differently than the world defines love. Like, I'm going to love you anyways. We might not even live in the same house for a little while, but I'm going to love you anyways. There might be some serious boundaries we have to put out there right now, like serious boundaries, but, but I, I'm gonna love you anyways. You don't think I do, but little do you know that love is patient, love is kind. It's not irritable. And I'm so irritated with you right now and I'm reminding myself that it's not irritable. That could be your thoughts, right? Endure. Why? Because Christ has endured for us. Let's commit to being that together. And If you ever wanna talk about that, because it's easier said than done, please. We don't wanna leave you hanging. We have marriage mentors here in the church. We have a care room where people can pray for you, take you some next steps. We have professional counselors we refer people to. I mean, we, we have so many options to be able to do that. So we never wanna leave you hanging because we wanna be a people who love. And when love is violated, it hurts. It hurts. Why? Because it's the greatest thing. when the greatest thing is abused and trampled on and misused and thrown aside or used as a weapon well if you loved me you would it's not loving to ignore someone's drinking habits it's not loving to ignore someone's pornography addictions it's not loving to tolerate someone's anger issues It's not loving to let someone live their life in selfishness. It's not loving to let someone worship money. What's loving is to say, God loves you, and therefore I do too, so we're going to talk about this. We're not going to enable this. But I want to be patient with you. Why? Because God's been patient with me. They're not going to get it. They're going to be mad at first. They're going to say you're being unloving. But keep in mind, you're following the one who defines what love is for us. And his name is Jesus. Love endures all things. And I'm thankful for that. There's a lot of times where I'm unlovable, but he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it in Christ. Why? Because love is patient. Let's pray. Father, I ask that we will not be the noise of this clanging symbol next to me on stage. I know there's people in this room right now that probably feel like they have a symbol figuratively in their home in their life, in their iPhone messages, whatever it could be. Lord, I ask that you help people to love. That your kindness, as Romans says, will lead us all to repentance. All right, I know there's times where this just seems easier said than done and doesn't make sense to us. But we're thankful that what you you have made clear to us is that Jesus endures on our behalf and that we can love because you first loved us. So I know I'm never gonna love others the way I should unless I first pursue loving you as I should. So let me get the sequence right in my life. Loving you, committing to your church, to your scripture, and loving others. Let me define love not the way the world does this kind of fleeting feeling anything goes of do whatever i say but rather a love that took on a cross and nails for a people who are undeserving we are thankful that while we were sinners christ died for us and that's how we ultimately understand this great word this great idea this great action called love thank you for first corinthians 13. And the way the Bible fits together, how you've given it to us to understand. Thankful for all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together and sing some good news.